Welcome, everybody, to a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. So glad to be with you, John Harris, Mark Vandermeer. And, Mark, we have got a lot to hit tonight. In our next segment, we're going to play a new game called Casario Scenarios. I like this. You get to grade the scenario as it pertains to what the Texans do with the first couple picks in the draft. So if I don't give it a good grade and Nick ends up doing this scenario, I'm going to have to answer to Nick. Yeah, Yeah. you're going to have to answer to Nick. Yeah, that's just kind of the way it it goes. I would bet that he would do something better than I would much of the time, maybe all of the time. Do you think Nick will like my uh, trade with Atlanta? Maybe. Maybe that's actually been discussed. You never know. Could be. Could be. We're going to find out. You never know. And I like the way you held Texans All Access. I was yeah. wondering how long you're going to hold that S. I'm going to hold it from, from now on. I'm going to hold it a lot, a that lot your thing. longer. Like, hey, Christopher Mad Dog Russo here. And <laughs> good afternoon, everybody. That's what? a really good Russo. Yeah, I used to listen to them when I lived in the uh, – oh. Actually, I lived in Massachusetts, and I could pick up their station out of New York when I lived up there a thousand years ago when he was on with Mike and the Mad Dog. I met uh, – the last Super Bowl, the Patriots went over the Falcons. I met, I met him. Mm-hmm. Couldn't have been nicer. Couldn't have been more understated. Completely yeah. different than what he is on the radio. I was completely on with different them. than he was at least when I met him. I was on with them a couple of times. One time, it was previewing the NCAA tournament. I was working with Westwood One, and they were actually doing a pregame show because it was on FAN, and they wanted them to do it. Yeah. And it was just kind of strange, and they're like, all right, let's go out to the Palace of Auburn Hills now, and Mark Vandermeer is calling the games out there today. Mark, what do you got? You was know, it Mad Dog and was it Mike and the Mad Dog? It was, yeah, Mike Francesa and Chris Russo. And I was kind of nervous, I got to admit, because I think, and I've yeah. said this many times, when you're in our business, anybody you were a fan of before huh. you were in the business, yep. that tends to get you a little riled up, gets you excited, yep. right? Like when I met uh, Dr. J for the yeah. first time. Yeah. Actually, the only time I ever met Dr. J. I was kind of nervous meeting Dr. J, I have to Heck, admit. yeah. Mm-hmm. I got to admit, the first time I did radio with you was a little bit overwhelming. Oh, boy. I got to admit. Oh. I mean, I knew you a little bit, but I remember it was right in that room next door, and we had decided uh, we had decided that we were going to go forth with me, and we're like, hey, let's do some radio. We got all access tonight. And I remember you teasing it, and Sean Pendergast was like, on Twitter, like, man, what's the tease? And that Texan was like, oh, no, it's just me joining the Texans. He goes, that's huge. And I was like, oh, but I, you and I were doing radio for the first time. I'm like, all right. All and, right, that's fun. This is fun. I can do look this. look at us. Well, I know. Just <laughs> a couple of regular Joes talking about one of the greatest Texans there's ever been. Calling it quits today. Whitney Merciless drafted in 2012, the 25th or 26th pick. We, this is a draft season, and I've been covering yeah. draft for a long time. Whitney was in here one day, Mark, and I read him my draft report on him. I yeah. read him the draft report you I did. did? Yes. Well, it must have been a good one because you're not going to read Dwayne's draft report on him. <laughs> I, got I hate to tease you about that one. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah. That's all right. It, it, I, got a, I got a chance to catch up with Dwayne after the Seattle game. It was cool. He's Dwayne and I have – I think we have a good relationship. He will always have that over me. Mm-hmm. Like, if we, he's sitting here, he'd need to be like, yeah, I turned out a little better than you thought, huh? Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. Uh, with Whitney, I went back and I looked at what I wrote. I'm like, holy smoke. So I read it to him. And you know how Whitney would get, when you talk to him, he'd get really excited. I got done, and his eyes got really big, and he's like, yo, you hit that perfectly. So I felt I felt validated in that moment. And it really, it really came, too. He came out of Illinois. As a hand down in the dirt, pass rusher, 
he learned to stand up. He learned to play from a stand-up position and rush the quarterback. Then he became a dominant force against the run. And then he put it all together for a couple of years, in particular in 2015 and 2016, when he was just he was he was phenomenal yeah. in those in those particular years. And you and I were talking earlier today, and you came flying to the studio and you're like, all right, top five Whitney plays. And we started kind of talking through them, and all of a sudden I was like, wow, okay, there's a lot more here than there's a lot more here than I at first glance remembered. Then I walked out of the studio. I went down to get a water, and I'm like, oh, man, what about this play? What plays stand out in your mind about Whitney Merciless? You know, the first one that jumped out to me was fumble recovery against the Colts in Indy 2016. Oh, yeah. on Clowney forces a fumble. Yep. Yep. Uh, Andrew Luck and company, they're about to score, right? Yes. And the Texans actually get the ball out with Clowney stripping, right. but Whitney recovering. And you pointed out when we were discussing this how – that was a better. That wasn't just a room service fumble recovery. Right. He had to go get it with some adversity, yes. and he was able to get it. And the Texans got the ball, and they went on a field goal drive, which in that game was saying something because it was a low-scoring game. And the fact that you stopped them at the goal line yep. and you got a field goal on the ensuing drive after the takeaway was huge in yep. that particular game. And yep. the Texans swept the Colts that year. That was really nice. So I think that game stands out to me quite a bit, that moment really, even though that wasn't maybe degree of difficulty as best play. Right. Uh, I think about the weird ones, the Ferkser, Karam, oh, and yeah. pick against 19. the Titans in 2019 to run it back into scoring range. Couldn't go all the way. He could not go all the <laughs> way, but he went a long way. He did. And that obviously turned that game around because that game was about to go south on the Texans. Yep. And they needed that one badly. And then the only other one I'll mention here, I mean, there are many more, and I know you've got some, but the weird bounce off. Whose foot did it hit? Bortles hit Whitney's no, foot? It was, uh, no, it was the running back. It was um, the guy from Alabama, TJ Yeldon. All right, so he hits Yeldon. Yeldon's foot, yeah. and Whitney picks it up. It popped up in the air, and he grabbed it. So it's a pick yeah. off, or did it go backwards? I don't know what they called it. It was What's supposed to be it? a pick. I mean, it looked like a pick, but I think because it went backwards, it ended up being a fumble. So Whitney mm -hmm. didn't get credit for the interception, and he didn't get his first interception until the one you mentioned uh, in uh, Tennessee in 20 – no, I take it back. His first interception came against Drew Brees. Was Monday night, 2019 – in that, no, but he had picks before that, John. No, he did not. Are you sure? I'm positive. I'm going back. I bet. Go I'm look. Going back. I promise you. I'm going back. Because as you're looking, his because I remember there was a it was a big deal about that because that was 2016. Oh yeah, you're right. right. You're right. You're right. You're right. I know. You're I know. Right. I'm right. Because I remember him yeah. having the interception, and he was oh my gosh that that game that Monday night game I was actually talking about that last night with uh, my guys on the locked on uh, locked on podcast. Eric Crocker and Ryan Tracy, and we were talking before we got on, we were talking about the Texans, and we were talking about how noisy it got in certain places, and so I was going back over that. I think the noisiest I've ever heard it was that night against the Saints at the end when Lutz hit that field goal. I don't think I've ever heard anything. When I took the headphones off, I'm like, oh, my God, my head was pounding. It was so loud. But Whitney gets that interception against Drew Brees, and I remember thinking, man, this is a great comeback. This is awesome. I think Whitney – was my player of the game. So Whitney had, you know, had to come out and do an interview with me post game. Yeah. And I remember saying to him, you know, first interception in his response was, now. yeah, bittersweet. And then later he gets the interception off the carom off of Ferkser um, against Tennessee. So he had two in that particular year, which is kind of amazing when you think 
the next year, we only had three interceptions total, and he had two of them in twenty in twenty nineteen. But to me, the turning point for Whitney, I thought happened week it was fifteen. So it was the game right before the bye. So it was what week eight? I think it was week eight. And we're two and five, and just coming off the Miami game. Remember that? Coming off the Miami game, it was just brutal. Right. Everything that could go wrong went wrong. It was 41 to nothing and a half. Arian gets hurt. Mallet was late getting to the plane. OB wanted to cut him before the game. Rick wouldn't let him. There's all kinds of stuff. Mallet then gets let go. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a nightmare. Tennessee's on the schedule next at home. And I remember early in the game, Tennessee tried to run at Whitney. And it was down in the, in the uh, north end zone, near the north end zone. And I'm telling you, Whitney took the head off the right tackle. I don't remember who it was. Just, I mean, goal, just shocked him, shed him, and made a tackle for a loss. I remember thinking, Whitney wasn't doing that in 2013 or even as a rookie. And I remember Vrabel doing so much work with him and Whitney just staying after it. You can tell he's got a, his confidence got a little shaken, but he really flourished under Vrabel. Mm-hmm. And 14 was a good year. But 15, that game against Tennessee when we needed it, he went off. And he had that play, and I was like, okay, hopefully that opens things up for Whitney. And then it did. Three and a half sacks that day. He also, he had a four. He had another one. But it got called back because he had gotten the top of Mariota's helmet. And And they called called it a, a, like, face mask. I think they call it a face mask. I don't know what the official, but he grabbed the top of his helmet as he was bringing him down. That would have been a record. That would have been four and a half in a game. But he ended up with three and a half that game. And we ended up winning that game, not something grandiose, but it was like 20 to six or something. But it was enough to turn it around. We went into the bye week. Then we went to Cincinnati on the Monday night. And the rest is history. And then we ended up running the the table. And I remember Whitney having that game against Tennessee. And then he and Watt, this one will stand in my mind forever. He and Watt. 2015, end of the season, got to have a win over Jacksonville. And it's one of the greatest defensive performances I've seen this team have. When they came on the field, that was the year, obviously, offensively challenged. I didn't really want to watch the offense come on the field. When the defense came on the field, it was the most exciting thing ever. I wanted to see what they were about to do because Bortles, he had no clue. He had no idea. And Whitney and Watt are just spinning and ripping and getting after it. And I want to say they combined for seven that day, too. Could some some number they mm-hmm. just went, they went nuts that day, but that that game Whitney had against the Titans in Week Eight that got us to three and five. He was a major reason for that, and that win obviously got things going again in the other direction. Well, you mentioned those two years being the years where he really got out, broke yeah. out. 15, 16 when they finished number one in the league in total defense, despite the fact that Watt gets hurt week three at New England and Clowney and Whitney are dealing for the rest of the year. incredible. And you win the Monday night game, well, the year before you won a 10-6, but you won a lot of slow, uh, low-scoring games in 2016 as well. We talked about winning at Jacksonville when Brock Osweiler has 99 passing yards. That's when Whitney had that carom off the foot that was actually a fumble recovery instead of a pick, but he got it out of the air. I guess. And there were some other ones as well that year that were low-scoring wins, yep. uh, and including the one at Indianapolis. We talked about that play. So I'll always remember him for that. I remember draft night. You mentioned it's draft season. He dropped a little bit. Yeah. Texans were able to get him. NCAA sack leader 
that was awesome to be able to pick him up that night. I remember his first preseason game at Carolina making oh. plays and thinking, okay, here we go. Because it was weird to see 59 on the field. 59 was D'Amico yeah, Ryan's number. Right. He yeah. had just left yeah. after the 2011 season. And here comes the new guy, first-round <laughs> draft choice, and he's wearing 59. It's kind of like the way they passed around 90 a little bit. And by the way, I mentioned this in our meeting, but I saw a 90 jersey, mm-hmm. and I was thinking, oh, this is going to be like Mario Williams. You watch. It's a really yeah. old jersey. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I yeah. saw it from a little bit of a distance, so I couldn't tell. And I thought, it's probably Mario Williams. And then I thought, oh, no, it's probably Clowney. And it's Ross Blacklock. And I'm thinking, good, okay. Tide is turning here. Let's go. But uh, that 90 has been worn by some people. And 59 will, you know, look, it's Whitney's number. It's D'Amico's number. I know that. Wait, who wore it last year? Uh, Eric Wilson. Eric Wilson, yes. Household name, Eric Wilson. Sorry, Eric. But, uh, you know, we'll see how it goes from here. But it's pretty interesting to me how – that number was passed from D'Amico to Whitney, who wore it so well and played here for almost a decade. I think two plays to me will will also stand out. We talked about these a little bit. But everybody remembers 15 and 16. Like, those are the two years. Like, it was phenomenal. 17 gets hurt in that Sunday night game. In fact, he got hurt, I think, three plays before Watt did. So we lost Bizarre. Whitney and Watt mm-hmm. within five, six plays of one another. And it was just brutal. So when Witt came back in 18, they finally had that Clowney, that Watt, and they had Merciless all healthy. And Clowney had some flashes. Watt had a good year. I don't know if it was the greatest year, but it was a good year. And Whitney sort of was odd man out. He was doing a lot of dropping. He only had four sacks. Well, came back in 2019. Obviously, there's no Clowney. So now it's, it's Watt and Merciless. And in the week three win out at Los Angeles, the Chargers had a lead in that game. We'd partially given it to them. But they had a lead in that game. But we were making – Aikens had just caught a touchdown pass. And so it was getting closer. But the Chargers were marching on down. And it was a third down. And Rivers tried to scramble. And Witt popped it out. Zach Cunningham fell on the ball. They went down – we went down and scored and took the lead, I think 20-17, to 17, and, and didn't look back. Then later in the playoff game against Buffalo, it's 16-8. to eight. And Josh Allen starts scrambling. And I'm telling you, Whitney got you – know, of course, there were all kinds of jokes about Whitney's nine-and-a-half fingers because one of his fingers he, had, yep. he lost in, in a game or something like that. He gets a couple of fingers on the ball and pops it out of Josh Allen. It's 16-8. to eight. The momentum has just – you know, Watt gets a sack, go down, score and get to two. It's 16-8. to eight. You're like, okay, it's still a one-score game, technically speaking. It's a one-score game. And – but the Bills have the ball, and oh, no, here goes Josh Allen scrambling, and Whitney pops it out. Pops right in the hands of Jacob Martin. Didn't score a touchdown, but went and got a field goal. So now it's 16-11. So you're like, hey, look, man, one more fluky play like that, one more play like that, and we are sitting exactly where we want to be with this thing. And then got a stop, got the ball back, scored, got that the two. That doesn't get talked about. You talk Nobody about the, talks about that. We talk about the Watts sack. Yes. We talk about Watson bringing people with yeah. him into the end zone. Obviously, the play to Taiwan Jones. We talk about that, the Fairbairn field goal, which was a short-range field That's goal. That's a huge we play. We don't talk enough about that Whitney strip sack in yeah. that game. It's a huge play. Yeah. I mean, we even mentioned if you, if you talk about a sack that's not J.J.'s, oh, Jacob Martin's sack. With like a minute and a half that's, that should have sealed it if the Texans could have gotten the first down. Don't mention the one that actually got them the ball back and led to three points. That was that was a massive one. And we were talking about it. Initially, you were like, wait, 
He had a str- – I said, yeah, there was a big yeah. – pop- I could see it. What? I could see the ball popping out and Jacob Martin catching it. And as soon as Jacob got it, he got drilled by somebody. But it didn't matter. He got the ball back. That was a massive play from Whitney in 2019. You know, it's funny because what happened after that, what do you get? A field goal, not a touchdown. Right. So I was thinking at the time, all right, you didn't tie the game or get a yeah. chance to, but at least you got the points where – when you get your touchdown, right. you're ahead. Right. You don't have to worry about going for two. You already got right. that out of the way. You're going to get the lead if you get a touchdown. But Buffalo, what makes that a great game is that oh, Buffalo gosh. comes back. They punch back with the field goal to send it into overtime, and that's one of the things that made that a great playoff game. It was golly. And I don't know how I game. survived that stress that night. I don't know how anybody did. Oh, any of us did. Mm-hmm. That was uh, that game was completely and totally crazy. Remember Josh Allen running downfield and like flipping the ball back yep. to one of his teammates. It was like, what is he doing? He wasn't Josh yet. He was he still was, Wyoming Josh right. at that point. He right? He was not Josh Allen. He was Wyoming Josh. And uh, oh my gosh. So Whitney, I think you know when you look at his history here, you're talking about a guy who played a decade. Yeah. Uh, he made a lot of plays, like we just said. The work in the community, all right? Oh, man, yeah. Walter Payton, Man of the Year nominee. Yep. All that stuff. Uh, the business aspects of what he did as well. The way he handled himself from the get-go. I mean, Whitney being around sponsors, partners, season ticket members, yep. you couldn't represent the organization better. Uh, he was just a joy to be around and have around with this organization. So I think – That'll stand out as well, Johnny. The off-field yeah. stuff stands out almost as much. We had him at the Fuddruckers shows an awful lot uh, every year, just doing fun things, talking about different things, different aspects of life and football. So I'll always be grateful to him for all of that. Yep. And uh, I just hope that uh, the relationship keeps growing and going forward where he can be a Texans legend. And that's what it's called, folks. It's a legends community. It's an NFL-branded yeah. thing. And I just want him to uh, to be around for a while. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, absolutely, I, he was he was always gracious with his time. Um, he, man, there would be times I remember seeing him in training camp in 2014, and you could just tell he was he was down. They drafted Clowney. Clowney was supposed to be the guy, and you could tell his confidence taking hit. And of course, Vrabel was just on them constantly, and Whitney took a lot of that barrage, but he turned it around and became. Became that guy. Mm-hmm. So when you think about making a draft pick at number twenty-five or twenty-six, whatever it was for Whitney, and you think you're gonna get you're gonna get ten pretty solid years out of a draft pick that you get late in the first round, I think Whitney's the epitome of this is what you'd at a minimum like like to get through. Look, would you like to get a Hall of Famer? Sure, of course, but when you look back and you grade the twenty twelve draft, you'll go, yeah, Whitney. Way more than a, a lot of guys at the. It, what's interesting to me is everybody wants to have first rounders. You like to get those at the back in the first round because playoff teams get those picks. The Texans were coming off a playoff season and they got a guy that they probably shouldn't have gotten. He probably should have gone earlier, but yet when they got him and brought him in here, he ended up being worth worth everything mm-hmm. that you would want a late first round pick to be. Um, and like you said. He hit every aspect of this organization uh, on the field, off the field. Uh, he was just—he was just absolutely tremendous. All right, when we get back, we're going to talk about the first round, and we're going to play grade the scenario. I'm going to present scenarios to Mark Vandermeer, 
okay. of what the Texans should do with 3-13. and 13. Not so much what they should do, but what they do with it. I'll present about four or five options, and we'll see which one he grades as the best. That's next on Texans All Access. Next on Texans All Access. Next on Texans All Access. It is a draft Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I'm John, he's Mark, and it's time to jump into the draft with something I called Grade the Scenario. Now, All right. Mark, I will give you the option to grade it on a scale of 1 to 10, or you mm-hmm. can grade it on A through F. It's completely up to you how you would like to grade. As a former teacher, I always liked a number grade, but I did 1 through 100, so I did that. You can go 1 through 100. It's up to you. It's your grading scale. Okay? Okay. I'm going to present to you what the Texans will do with their first round. Not just 3-13, and 13, but what they might do in the first round that encapsulates 3-13. and 13. It may not. There might be some other things going in. Here we go. All right. Number one, straight up, make the picks at 3-13, and 13, and the Texans end up with NC State offensive lineman Iki Aquanu, and at 13, Georgia's massive defensive tackle Jordan Davis grade the scenario. I like it. I don't think that the pick of an O-lineman at number three is sexy, but Nick Casario is not into – I want to make this a sexy pick so everyone at Miller Outdoor Theater screams the <laughs> loudest they possibly could. Yeah, That is not the goal here. The goal is the long-term health of the football team and whatever short-term pop you can get out of it, but you're looking at the long haul here. So you get Jordan Davis. Johnny, who's my Vandermock pick at 13? Do you remember? Anybody, anybody from Georgia. From Georgia. Anybody right. from Georgia. Right. So Jordan Davis, anybody from Georgia, mm-hmm. right? And I get the O-lineman at third overall. But in this scenario, can you share with me who the Jags took and who Detroit took, please? Ooh, you're because, throwing that in? Yeah, because okay. I, if I'm going to grade what right, Nick right, did at three, right. I want to see who I'm missed out on. Jacksonville takes Aiden Hutchinson. Okay, darn And it. Detroit takes Trayvon Walker. Where did Hamilton go in this? Hamilton. I don't have to take Hamilton at three all of a sudden because his stock has dropped, although I don't know if Nick would agree But Hamilton that. is taken by the Jets at ten. Okay. I'm all right with this. Quanu and Jordan Davis. If they deem that they need help up front and that's the best way to go and that's what you want to do with number three and it's not a trade down, I'm okay with it. I will give it, Johnny, I will give that a draft night grade of 91. Okay, good. I like it. Here's the other thing about that too. Mm -hmm. And the reason I picked those two players, I feel like – even just a couple of players coming in that have a mindset of being physically dominant, I think can have ramifications through your whole team, even if they're rookies. Right. And Aquanu and Davis can physically, physically dominate even grown men. And I think that will have have an impact. And so there's part of a reason for using those two because I think those two help set a tone of what you want to be. You want to be a physical football team. That's what I would think a Lovey Smith team wants to be is we're going to we're going to drive you in the dirt. And I think these two guys help do that. Okay. Number 2 scenario. Mhm. You already know this one. Texans trade with Atlanta, <laughs> pick up a second, a third, and a third next year. They end up drafting Kyle Hamilton at 13. Kayvon Thibodeau falls to them. 
Grade the scenario from my mock draft. I feel like, and we discussed this the other night, mm-hmm. I feel like this is more of an 84 because Man. of Thibodeau. Yeah. You just don't think he's going to be there? I, I don't think he's going to be there, and I think if he drops, and look, that's not a free fall, all yeah. right? No, it's Going not. to 13 is right. not catastrophic. Right. You right. know, that's not Aaron Rodgers, which right. wasn't catastrophic. It worked out pretty well for him, actually. Other free falls. In I mean, the draft. remember Patrick Mahomes went at ten and Deshaun Watson went at twelve. Right. So, but I feel like considering where he was now, this is all media speak and pundit stuff. Yeah. yeah. But I feel like there might be a better option at thirteen. Oh wait, wait. Where where am I picking? Uh, where am I picking Thibodeau there? What? You would be picking eight and thirteen. So yeah, eight Thibodeau. and thirteen. Yeah, because yeah. eight. I, okay. We took Hamilton. I'm going to say that that might be the one that's not going to work out as well, projected to not work out as well as some of the other players who might have been available, even though I have no idea who that is now because you haven't set it up. So there. Okay. Give me notables I missed out on, on thir- at 13 while picking Thibodeau. Okay. Um, not to single him out because he might be tremendous. Jermaine Johnson was the very next pick. See, he, was the, he was the very next pick. You like Jermaine Johnson. I like Jermaine Johnson. I – don't have Jermaine Johnson ahead of Kayvon Thibodeau. Okay. Overall, um, and I think, man, I, I, just, I think if I get Thibodeau at thirteen, I, I'm, I think I'm gonna do it. And you know why? Why? Two words: Lovey and Smith. I feel like there is a built-in respect for Lovey Smith when. I heard some draft prospects at the draft, and they were asked about the Texans. Yeah, I had a good conversation with Lovey Smith. I feel like there is this respect for Lovey, yeah. even in the younger community. Like they they get it now. Part of it is Lovey recruited some of these guys, so he's got a connection there. I don't know that he recruited Thibodeau, but point being, I think Lovey carries that weight with some guys that you know. Look, Kayvon is he is um, he's a He's a braggadocio. I mean, he likes to tell everybody how great he is. I mean, I think Lovey would be a great balance for him. So I think Lovey Smith could play a role in that. But Jermaine Johnson was after him. George Karloftis from Purdue was after him. I'm trying to think if there is. Oh, Devin Lloyd. Now, that's one I would think about is Devin Lloyd, the linebacker. I love this guy. But I love who this would guy. who would Lovey love more right there in your scenario where you trade with Atlanta and you're I picking think Edge team? Rusher? I think I think Edge Rusher yeah. would carry. Would carry the day. Yeah, and I think that Nick, it's going to be interesting to see how, and we'll never know the whole truth, nothing but the truth, mm-hmm. because I could tell you stories about Texans past, but we still don't know exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. JJ Watt, uh-huh. whose idea was that really? Right. Right? right? But look, Rick is the man who can say no, and he pulled right. the trigger. He did. Uh, he pulls the lever, and he's going to take the heat if it doesn't work out, yeah. right? Yep. And the same thing goes for Nick. But. How much influence will Lovey have on this draft? Yes, exactly. Exactly. If Lovey wants to stand on a table for Thibodeau and Nick is like, well, it could be him or, you know, if, if, between Thibodeau and two or three other guys, Nick is going to pick, I would think, especially if it's close, who Lovey really feels compelled to have. Right? Yeah. Don't you think so? Unless it's like ridiculous or it's just yeah, too yeah. far apart, the yeah. value, the way we have them rated. No, right. not going to work. So that'll be interesting to uh, evaluate after. Okay. And it'll all be speculation. All right. Grade the scenario. The New Orleans Saints call on draft night. They've already been talking. They tell Nick, look, 
We're giving you 16 and 19. Yeah. You keep 13. 16 and 19 to go up to number three. Nick says, I'll take 16 and 19, but I want a little bit more. Mickey Loomis says, yes, we want to go up and get a quarterback. The Texans are then drafting at 13, 16, and 19. They've got three picks in the first round. Just that scenario, grade that scenario. I'm not telling you who the players are. We don't know who the players would be at that point. Who, or a grade that scenario, the Texans making the deal with the New Orleans Saints and ending up with 13, 16, and 19 in the first round, three firsts. I know Gordon Gecko said greed is good, <laughs> but I feel greedy now yeah. saying this, that I want my number three overall pick back instead of that scenario because we've talked about this. If yeah. you have three first-round picks, they're all going to come due at the same time Correct. for big contracts right. if you hit on all three. The thing I do like about it is you're not going to hit on all three. Right. You're just not. The odds are – Two out of three, you've done very well here. Yep. And if the third guy is just pretty good, okay. But you're probably not going to have him around for a second contract unless it's mutually agreed that, look, I want to stay here, I want to stay home, whatever the case may be, and I'll take whatever money you got coming to me. Or you franchise him. I don't know how that would play out. I would think that Nick wouldn't want this, so I'm going to give that an 82 Okay. In 82, because I lost, the, lost uh, the number three overall pick, and I yep. would imagine that I got a bag of groceries along with those two picks yeah. to drop down. Yeah, you would get a New Orleans third next year. That's, that's a lot. That's a lot for them to give up to move up to number three overall. Right. They must think that Willis is going to be pursued hot and heavy, and there's no one else to make a deal with because they could go call Detroit and try to make that deal, but Detroit's in love with Hutchinson, so they don't want to do it. Uh, they could call the Giants. Giants might not want to do it. This is going to be very interesting. Okay. handful of teams have had three picks in the draft. Yeah. To your point. The New York Giants in 2019 drafted Daniel Jones, Dexter Lawrence, and cornerback DeAndre Baker. One I think is solid, Lawrence. Baker was a bust completely. And then Jones is the 50-50 at best, Johnny. Yeah. is It's a coin flip at best that Raiders, Jones works out. Raiders in 2019 drafted Cleveland Farrell. Kind of a bust right now. Josh Jacobs, solid. Oh, very solid. Jonathan Abram, bust. Gosh, this hurts a lot. The Browns with three draft picks in 2017 drafted Miles Garrett, uh -huh. David Njoku. Nice. Jabril Peppers. At the time, it looked really good. The time. I still have found – I have yet to find one where I go, oh, yeah, they hit on all three. It's going to be hard. It's it's just not. Now, when Lovey was in – when Lovey was in St. Louis in 2001, the Rams had three first-round picks. Well, I got to hear this. They drafted defensive linemen uh, – oh, yeah, here we go. Uh, the Green did it, sent the 12th overall pick, defensive end, Damian Lewis. University of Miami. Miami. Yep. Adam Archuleta. Ooh. And Ryan Pickett. Big Grease. Oh, I miss Grease. That, was, that wasn't a bad haul. No, not at all. Not, not a bad haul at all. I mean, that's, that's a pretty good one. That was in 2001. And then you had the Vikings in 2013. They went to the Super Bowl that year but lost. The Vikings picked Sharif Floyd. Ended up being a bust. Uh, Xavier Rhodes. Okay. 
And then Rick Spielman draft went back into the first round, sent four picks to the Patriots. Oh, gosh. To go back into round one for Cordero Patterson. Didn't work out for them. In Minnesota, it didn't. No. And, look, and ironically, CP worked out in New England. <laughs> is he a first-round talent, though? At the Well, Patterson never had a position. Yeah. They should have been playing him for running back a jump, but I – I don't know. That was that's a tough one. He's a weapon. He's he. You call him a weapon, just like when you have college recruiting and yeah. some guys are athletes. Yeah, I call him Weapon X. That's be a I, weapon. Yeah, that's what I I usually call those guys Weapon X. But what they were looking for was a replacement for Percy Harvin. Percy had been traded in Seattle. Yeah, and they needed something, and so they went and got Cordero Patterson. So that leads me to scenario one, two, three, four. This is number four. Okay, and using the Vikings as a guide, the Texans trade. They draft three and thirteen. Don't make any deals. Three and thirteen. You're not going to give me the picks. Quanu, okay, and let's go Jermaine Johnson. Good. And they call the Chiefs. They see somebody at the bottom of the first round, and that player. Ooh, now it gets complicated. That player is David Ojabo from Michigan, who tore his Achilles at pro day in March. The scenario is draft Iquanu and Jermaine Johnson and then move up into the first round to get David Ojabo, redshirt him, and bring him back the following year fully healthy. Grade the scenario. What am I giving up to move into the first round from pick 37? You're going from 37 to 29. You're giving up pick 107. I don't like – You're giving up one of your fours. Listen, I'm into instant gratification here. <laughs> I don't like waiting. Waiting is no fun. My kid has a book. It's the uh -huh. Gerald and Piggy book. Yeah. Waiting is not easy or something like that. Yeah. Uh, he still likes to read it every once in a while, and it's good for his patience. Waiting is not fun, Johnny. So I don't like waiting around for the better part yeah. of a year, if not an entire year. First round draft choice. That means, look, if you don't take him right there, you're telling me that you can't get him at 37. Someone else is going to grab him. Is it really worth it? you got to pay him anyway. Right? You're paying him first-round money this year to rehab. You believe in him that much. You love him that much that you're not willing to risk the fall, and there's nobody else you can pick up in the meantime at 37 and not make but, that move. But, but, mm -hmm. if you decide to do it at 37, yeah, he's on a four-year deal. So yeah. the redshirt year counts as one of them. Now you really only have a couple of years to see what you got. So in the first round, you can at least – I don't like it. You don't like it? I don't like it. Right the scenario. What are you giving it? 78, which was pretty much my college average. Uh, just kidding. I was into a lot of extracurricular stuff. I was no, vice I president of my class. Look. I was business manager of the yearbook. I was captain of the sailing team. Don't at me on that. I, I Never mind. I'm, I, I, I didn't love that scenario either. To a degree. Maybe if I had changed Jermaine Johnson to somebody different. But I don't mind the red shirting of Ojabo because I'm getting a top 12 to 15 talent way beyond. I mean, think about it. Jeffrey Simmons back in 2018, coming off ACL. He tore in mid-January. I had him at number four. I had him at number four in the Harris 100, and the Titans are like, we'll take him at 19. And now what happens? We he's have to good. face that monster twice a year. Yeah, he's good. He's been responsible, like, single-handedly winning some games against the Texans. But that's him. And I don't know if I'm willing to take that gamble. You know what I want to see from Nick? I don't want to give up what what do we have? 107, 108, right? 107, 108. I don't know and if I want to give fourth. those up. 
I don't know. And I, I would think that odds are better that he trades one of those when yeah. we get there. Yeah. But maybe not. Because maybe there's two players after reevaluating the board following Friday night. Mm-hmm. Top of Saturday, there are two guys we want. We're going to go get them unless somebody makes a deal with Jacksonville and yep. moves ahead of us. Jacksonville's at 106. So I'm thinking go ahead and make those picks after what he did last year. I want to see him draft some of these players. I'm more willing to see Nick trade the pocket change, as some call it, later in the draft, the sixth and seventh, that kind of thing. Grade the scenario, last sixth. one. Sixth. Uh, Grade the, the last scenario, one. last one. You ready? Oh, you got one more for me. I got one more. Okay, go ahead. At pick number three, yeah. the Texans, go Ikea Kwanu. Mm-hmm. At pick number 13, the Texans go Malik Willis, Liberty. Grade right. the scenario. We need to do this after the break. I need a, <laughs> I, I, I'm a little emotional right now. You got to grade it. You got to grade it. Because we got to hit a few things on the other side. Right, so you okay. have to grade it. No, I'm not giving you time to think. I'll give it an 88. Ooh. I'll give it an 88. I like but it. I, boy, you can't throw this at me going into the break. But all right, we'll talk about it another time. All right, Mark. Nice job. Thank you. There is a receiver. Man, receivers are driving everything nowadays. They got paid, paid, paid. We'll tell you who that is. And we'll go around the league next right here in Texans All Access. We got one final segment this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am John Harris. It's time to go around the league. And Stephon Diggs will remain a Buffalo Bill, the former fifth round selection. Imagine that. Fifth rounder. Signed a four year, $96 million extension to stay with the Buffalo Bills. He was the ninth. 19th receiver drafted in 2015. 19th. It hit Minnesota. Then it was time to move on. The Vikings got a first rounder for Diggs. Diggs has been well worth it. In 2020, Diggs led the league in receptions. He's a first team all pro. He made pro uh, he made the Pro Bowl last year. That's two straight. Diggs. There was some noise being made and noise coming out of Buffalo about Stephon Diggs and Oh, boy, look at all these receivers making money. He was tweeting some cryptic stuff with some emojis, which I can't stand. I couldn't stand Deshaun Watson's rap lyric, cryptic stuff. I just, like, say it or don't. But, like, all this cryptic, oh, man, what am I going to do? All these receivers are getting money. Oh, my. Well, Stephon Diggs got his money. He will remain a Buffalo Bill. So Josh Allen is Stephon Diggs. And if we see Stephon Diggs, Catching passes from Josh Allen in 2022, that's a great thing because that means it's a playoff game because we don't see them in the regular season, thank God. Oh, my goodness, that offense is going to be ridiculous. And I almost, I almost mocked Brees Hall running back to Buffalo. In fact, I had him in there, and then I went back and I looked at it and went, you know, uh, I'm, no, I'm going to go a different direction. And I can't remember who I ended up putting in there, but it was not Brees Hall. But Brees Hall is a running back in that system. Oh, my goodness. That said, Stephon Diggs is staying for a while. He got a massive deal, four years, $96 million to stay up in Buffalo. That offense stays intact. Now, the other news from the day was Derek Stingley Jr., the mercurial 
cornerback, worked out at LSU. He had had a Liz Franck injury. He had been banged up, didn't play all that well in 2020. He didn't play a ton of games either. 2019 is a true freshman. He was outstanding. So there were a lot of questions about Stingley, and from a physical standpoint, he probably answered him. The 40-yard dash, he went anywhere from like 4.36 to 4.42. That's smoking fast at his size, six foot, about 195. He had a vertical jump of 38 and a half inches, and he brought a jump 10-2. I said it the other day. Sean Pendergast asked me in the morning. He said, Sauce Gardner's draft status, and I said it was over-under. And I said, why don't we wait to answer that until we see Derek Stingley work out? Because I got a feeling that once Stingley works out, teams are going to go back and say, man, let's look at that 2019 film. I think we got something here. He ran his 40 in a beanie. I love it. He did his interview with James Palmer. And I think James said 10 times the word that's, words that Stingley did. He doesn't say a whole lot. He does talking on the field. I have him number five overall in the Harris 100. I had him going number four overall to the New York Jets. I have him ahead of Sauce Gardner. All things considered, both of them healthy. I'll take Stingley eight out of ten times. Eight out of ten, bordering on nine out of ten. I believe in the guy. And you know what? I wouldn't be opposed. I've, I just wanted to see him healthy. And I remember thinking in 2019 when he was a freshman and I would watch him and we were good. I thought, man, it's, I hate it. I wish we could have Derek Stingley. Well, maybe now. You never know. Maybe Derek Stingley ends up being that pick and he ends up coming to Houston and becomes that guy in the corner uh, that, we're, that we're looking for. Throw him into the defensive mix. You got a game changer at corner, a guy that can play man, can play press, can run with anybody. He's the only guy I've seen cover Jamar Chase worth a flip. And he did that as a true freshman. Imagine if you give him some time in the NFL with some good coaching from Dino Vasso, from Lovey Smith. Uh, and from that entire Texas coaching staff, never know what you might have. But Derek Stingley, great workout. On-field workout was excellent as well. Uh, there were tons and tons of coaches uh, and position coaches there. So it was good to see Derek Stingley work out. I think that solidified himself in the top five. And that's your show. A big thanks to Mark, to my man Chris Santiago, to Derek Stingley for doing it. Atta, baby. And we'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And as always, go Texans.